it was at that time that I also started walking further away from my house or biking further away from my house. I lived in an apartment complex and I discovered about a, a mile away from my house, a comic book shop. And for me, being this kid who only knew of DC, Marvel, and maybe now comics, to suddenly have my world opened up to underground comic books and independent press books and trade magazines, it was a complete eye-opening experience. Hi. I'm graphic novelist Jarrett Jake Frazoska, and welcome to Origin Stories. In this podcast, I go on a deep dive into the upbringings and artistic developments of some of the very brightest and most talented graphic novelists working today. In this episode, we are going to get to know how Raoul III became Raoul III. Raoul blasted onto the comic scene in 2014 with the publication of Low Riders in Space. Written by Kathy Camper and illustrated by Raoul, this beautiful graphic novel series celebrates lowrider culture through an action-packed, out-of-this-world adventure. Raoul then made his debut as an author-illustrator in 2019 with Vamos, Let's Go to the Market, a picture book that celebrates Raoul's own origins growing up in a border town in Texas. The Vamos series took off, creating an entire universe of Raoul's making. More picture books, early readers, plushies, and even an animated cartoon in the works. I am so proud to present to you Raul III's Origin Story. Origin Stories with JJK. Jarrett J. Krasowski. Jarrett Krasowski. Before we get into my conversation with Raul III, Origin Stories is sponsored in part by High Five Books, a beautiful and incredible indie bookshop here in Florence, Massachusetts. Check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for links to buy Raul's books from this fabulous indie. And while you're over on the High Five website, check out their curated list of book recommendations. Truly High Five worthy. Okay, on to my chat with Mr. Raul III. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. It's so great to see you. It's been a very long time. It has been way too long. Obviously, the pandemic, because in the before, we would see each other quite a bit. Last time, we were driving through the lonely streets of, wait, where were we? Detroit? Around Detroit somewhere. Michigan. We are in uh, Parma. Michigan. Arma, Michigan. That's right. And definitely one of my favorite memories as an author. So in regular times, folks tend to have this vision of a graphic novelist or an author illustrator just loftily sipping their tea at home and looking out the window for inspiration. But you have to book tour. You have to get out to support your work. And so it was summer of a couple years ago, and we were at this big, it was nerd camp, this big conference of all of these educators and authors. And we had an evening off. It was just you and me. And we, we were like, all right, let's go. Let's go get something to eat. And we walked down the street. And it was this crowded place. We're like, wow, this place is packed. There's no place to sit. So we were like, let's just let's eat at the bar. And as we're walking up to the bar, everyone in that restaurant turns and starts applauding for us. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that was really fantastic. And we were so taken off, but it was all of the librarians and classroom teachers that were there for the conference. And I, I think that's a great metaphor for how we're able to do our jobs because they're cheering us on and egging us on, but. It really felt like, it really felt like we'd made it, didn't it? It did, that was a feeling, oh, we've made it. 
because when I was a teenager, I couldn't imagine people applauding for be drawing cartoons. I, I had to draw my cartoons in secret. So let's get back. Let's get. Let's like start with. We've known each other for a while now, and but we've never. I really want to get into Rollo the Third when he was a young one and how you got into comics. Were people cheering for you as a kid? You said you were drawing in secret. Tell me, what is your earliest memory of your talent or connecting with art or story or comics? Yeah, so I've been drawing for such a long time now that I really can't pinpoint when I made the connection that I wanted to be a comic book artist, but I know that I've always been attracted two comic books and back in the 80s when i was a kid growing up there were all sorts of like weird stores that you could pop into one in particular that i loved was this dime store that was called wins and wins you would go in and they would have fish and then in another aisle they might have like puppies in a box and then they had a spinner rack and it was filled with bargain packs of comic books that's when I started buying, I bought my very first comic, which was Web of Spider-Man issue 16. And it was something about the creepy pitchfork, Spider-Man's tattered mask, who I recognized from Spider-Man and his amazing friends that made me want to buy it. And from that point on, I knew that a comic book contained everything that I loved, which were stories, and drawings and i think that's when the bug started for me and this was before i was a teenager i really became interested in turning it into a career when i when i became when i turned about 13 or 14 years old and you had a funny anecdote about that spider-man that it it also came in a multi-pack with a chuck norris comic yeah and what's interesting about that th there's a weird connection to both of those issues. We all know that Spider-Man was created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And Steve Ditko was the artist, the guy who brought us the costume, who created pretty much the, the uh, Spider-Man's rogues gallery. But in the 80s, he was drawing Chuck Norris and his karate commandos. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. So, really flip through that first issue, it's illustrated by Steve Ditko. I don't know if that's going up or down in your career, but that's what he was doing. If it weren't for Steve Ditko needing a gig, taking on this Chuck Norris, unless Steve Ditko was like a lifelong Chuck Norris fan, and was like <laughs> yeah. just waiting for that phone to ring for the Chuck Norris time. And what is also called Karate Commandos, and Commandos with a K, just to force that alliteration. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I had that, and there was a lot of weird comics, like that one, and Super Pro, which was like an NFL superhero. Just whatever the case, and uh, that's what comics were back then, and you would, you really had no choice. You had to buy this pack and whatever was in there was what you took home. And then maybe you'd go back for another pack and you'd pick up three other random books. So it was all good. So that, that little spinner rack at that store that sold boxes of puppies and other random things, like that was like what the school library is for kids now finding comics. That's wild. Yeah, that was really the only place where we could find comics. Another place that I, I would haunt constantly was and this was later on when I became a teenager, 
that was the 7-Eleven. And that one had more of your monthlies. So they had DC Comics. So Batman, Superman, all of that cool stuff. They had Marvel Comics. So I would, I would pick up, I still have this one. I just, I was looking through my bo box. I have Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man issue number one. They, but then they also had like weirder stuff, right? Stuff that was like an independent studio producing stuff, Ralph Snart here. And Ralph Snart was a whole different style of cartooning. And I, I was, honestly, I was fascinated by all of it. And then I would go to Juarez, that's, that's uh, across the border. And my uncles and my abuelita, they were, they read comic books constantly, but they Mexican comics, Caliman here. And these are like, these are black and white uh, sepia toned books that were really fascinating to me. And they were always old. Like I never saw a new issue. They always looked like they were years older than, than I never saw new issues. Guess is what I'm trying to say, but it was all pretty fascinating to me. And what I would do, Jared, is I would buy these books, sometimes buy them. I don't want to reveal my criminal side unless I'm forced to, but I would uh, bring these books home with me. And I started to uh, learn how to draw by copying the images within these books. So my favorite artists were like Jim Apero, Norm Bray Fogel, Mark Hansen from Ralph Snart. And then it grew into some of the younger artists who were probably like five or six years older than me, but somehow were already professional comic book artists, people like Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee, so on and so forth. And so my work was just a pastiche of all of these people. I can totally see that in, in the, f the fabric of what your work became. And we're the same age and I, we've connected over this quite a bit is that that Jim Lee X-Men series, like it was the blue team and the gold team, which when was that released? Like 90? 92, 91. Yeah, yeah 92, 92. I think, 90, I think 91 because it just had an anniversary. Really? Yeah, like it just had the whatever. I heard like the original covers went like for this astronomical price, like millions of dollars or something like that. Because he only just sold them. Yeah. He like just sold them on the, the anniversary. That was smart. It was smart to keep them that long. Yeah. And yeah. And I also, I didn't realize how young that little squad was that you mentioned because I, I follow them all on Instagram. And Rob Liefeld had just posted something about an anniversary of X-Force action figures. And he said, I was 22 years old when these action figures came out, five years into my career. <laughs> Wait a minute. Five years? Wait a second. Does that mean he started when he was 17? Yes. Yeah, he was a teenager, which I mean, that was, I always wanted to do this, but it was still seemed like such a thing that was so out of reach. So you would say, so you're in your early teens, you're living in, it was what town in Texas? I was living in El Paso, Texas. And you were getting these comics from these spinner racks, but like, what was the connection for you to say, I like making that and maybe someday my art can be in the spinner racks. Yeah, so it was pretty miraculous for me to, it was, I discovered these books at the 7-Eleven when I was about 12 or 13. And it was at that time that I also started 
walking further away from my house or biking further away from my house. I lived in an apartment complex and I discovered about a, a mile away from my house, a comic book shop called Bills, Coins, Cards, Stamps, and Comics. And so I started to go into this shop and Bill was like a pack rat, a total pack rat. And he had basically any kind of comic book you could imagine. And for me, being this kid who only knew of DC, Marvel, and maybe now comics, to suddenly have my world opened up to underground comic books and independent press books and trade magazines. It was a complete eye-opening experience. And so I started reading like comics journal and learning from creators as they were interviewed. And that's when I decided, okay, this is a real job and this is what I want to do. And, and I think it's probably seems such a strange concept for young readers today to think that when you thought of comics, it was really just Marvel and DC in our brains, like what we saw, like what we were exposed to. There was, there's no internet. And I, like you too, I had an art teacher who would bring in, and it wasn't at school, it was like at the Worcester Art Museum. Oh, Mark. I do know Mark Lynch. I could only imagine what kind of books he brought in to expand your horizons. Oh my goodness. He definitely made it clear that we would not have been able to buy them ourselves. <laughs> the comic book store. He was like, I want you to read Crumb. I want you to read Art Spiegelman. I want you to be exposed to all of his other kinds of art styles. And it's so important to know that as an artist, you don't have to draw in a certain way to be successful. I, I don't know about you, but I, I thought, oh, I'll have to learn how to draw exactly the way they're drawing Spider-Man. And, and it, it was so see. confusing to look at the book, How to Draw the Marvel Way. And they break it down into cylinders and weird shapes that I had no idea how to draw. And so I was like, how will I ever be able to do this? And it was really frustrating to look at, at a, how to draw the Marvel way and realize that I just didn't have what it took to, to draw like John Buscema or somebody like that. And so these other books that I discovered at the comic book shop, they felt so much more accessible to me. There was like Chester Brown, Seth, uh, who else? Uh, all sorts of interesting people that had a more cartoony style that I could draw on my own or get close to drawing. And so that's what really built my confidence up. And also just the fact that not if I, I realized that not everything had to be a superhero book. It could be a slice of life story, or it could be something that reflected what I was going through and what I was seeing. And that, that became something that I started to try to achieve in my own work. And, and you also have this, I remember, and, and so this is fast forwarding a bit, but I want, I, I do want to know how you got there, but I remember. I remember where I was the first time I saw your work because it, it stopped me in my tracks. And it was when Lowriders in Space, your first graphic novel that you illustrated was published. And, and your publisher had sent me a review copy and I get a fair amount of review copies. And I remember I was in my kitchen and I just stopped and stared at it. And it was so beautiful and it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It was ballpoint pens. And, and as I understand it, there's a there's that thread of young Raul to 
to the Raul who made lowriders in space, there's a direct connection there, right? With the art supplies you had access to? Yeah, absolutely. Like there weren't art supply stores in El Paso. And so I thought everybody was using big ballpoint pens to create their work. And so I learned how to create a line that might look like a brush line using a big ballpoint pen or finely detail spite the Todd Mc, the crazy Todd McFarlane webs with a big ballpoint pen. So when I drew the lowriders in space book, I just wanted to share with kids the simple fact that the materials you have on your desk, whatever they may be, you can immediately start delving into your dream worlds and create a masterpiece with those simple tools. And so Lowriders in Space, in a sense, is a testament to that. Plus, it also fit into a lot of the artwork that I was getting into from Chicano artists, a fan art that I would see in Lowrider magazine or tattoo art, so, so, so on and so forth. And so there was a nice connection there art-wise. That's beautiful. And, and, and I, I, you're also a shining example of you, you carved out your path on your own. So Lowriders in Space came out, you must have been like mid thirties, early thirties when it was published. I, was, well, I, I probably started working on it when I was 31 or 32 years old. And because it took Kathy and I a couple of years before anyone even took a look at it. You know, the path to publishing. It's not, it's not usually just, hi, I'm here, publish my book. It takes a long time to like convince, especially if you're a nobody to convince people to, to give you a chance. And so I started conceiving the idea with Kathy came to me with uh, a basic idea and then together we, we formed this universe, but I was probably around 31, 32 years old. And then maybe 34 when we finally uh, signed on to make the books with Chronicle. And and you are a multi-hyphenate, like you are a hardworking artist because I, I remember seeing that book for the first time and visiting your website and you had such this impressive list of galleries you you exhibited at. So what was the, okay, so what was then the first time you got paid for your art in any way where you thought, oh, I can prove to my family that this can be a thing that I do. So my dad's a door-to-door -door salesman and my mom grew up working in the Mercado. And so she's also a salesperson. And so I've always approached how to make it as an artist pretty much in the same manner as my parents. I started in San Francisco, but I'll skip all of that and start in Boston where I moved to Boston with Elaine uh, Bay, my wife, who's also my collaborator on the Vamos books. And while she was getting her master's, I was basically knocking on as many doors as I possibly could to try to make it as an artist. And I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to make art. And so oddly enough, one of the first uh, jobs that I got was it was either designing a menu for a Mexican restaurant or uh, painting a switch box in Davis Square. So that's how I got my start. And I just built 
I always made little accomplishments appear much bigger than they actually were and slowly began to build my resume out that way. It was weird. And I, and I'm so I'm remiss because we probably just missed each other. I was in Davis Square maybe three years or so before I moved to a different part of Boston and moved out here to Western Mass. But that's just it. Raw talent is so important, but I've always had the mantra when I'm speaking to young artists who are trying to make it, that <laughs> talent sits on its butt. Like talent doesn't do anything. Like to hustle, you have to work hard. You have to have that door-to-door -door salesman mentality and not be shy to, to get yourself out there. Yeah, and it was weird. Like one thing always led to the next. So I would draw, I paint a switch box and a band would invite me to draw a poster. And then next thing I knew the MFA was inviting me to draw posters. And then for our, we would get together and we would draw zines and uh, we would self-publish zines. And that's how I met Kathy. And it's just like a giant snowball effect. And, and then before long, here I am with you on, on this great show. If you're enjoying my chat with Raul and want to see the conversation, which includes visuals of the books we reference, check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories. I recorded this talk via Switcher Studio. Switcher Studio is a simple and powerful iOS app that makes your live video feeds look like a professionally produced. Your iPad becomes like your production control room as you switch between your iPhone camera, which acts as a webcam, your remote guests, and any pre-recorded video or visuals you want to bring on screen. I would like to thank Switcher Studio for sponsoring this podcast. And as a thank you to you for listening, you may use code STUDIOJJK at switcherstudio.com to receive a free month of their service. How many gold stickers do you have on your books now? Because you just recently earned another gold sticker for yeah. Vamos, Let's Cross the Bridge. It's, I have, so I have, it's great. Every Vamos book has a sticker on it. The first Vamos, Let's Cross, Let's Go to the Market has a Pura Belpre honor. Let's Go Eat has a, a gold medal. And so does Let's Cross the Bridge. But the first one came from Lowriders to the center of the earth. And I, it's honestly, I can't believe that all of this has happened, but it's a real honor. And I am deeply touched by, by the committees and all of the amazing librarians who have chosen my books time and again. Can't believe it. And for, for the listeners to understand what we're talking about here, so librarians volunteer on different committees. They were, it is, it's like literary jury duty right? They're sworn to secrecy. They sign a contract saying that they can't talk about what happens in the deliberations for 50 years. There's a, like a 50 year lockdown on them talking about it. There's maybe 15 or 20. They read just about every single book in whatever the category is. So we're talking like hundreds of books and then they duke it out on what they want to take the you know, gold, the silvers, and you can't take that lightly. Those people have worked so hard and I'm sure there were tears and fights and you, your book made it, like it won the championship of the boxing rating. Of, of, of... <laughs> it did. And there's so, there's like you're saying, there's so many amazing books out there that come out each and every year. And those books are and will always be amazing. Absolutely. Because every book's gonna find a home in a reader. But other than reading, sometimes I'll go to our convenience store here in town. It doesn't have comic books on spinners because we have so many bookstores, comic book stores. But it brings me so much joy when I go there. And then there's this giant truck, a beer truck, backing into the loading dock, and it has Raul the Third's artwork emblazoned on it. 
How did that happen? So you're you there is a brewery in and yes, so right it was in summer. You know, I don't. It's weird. Like I I never imagined uh, doing all any of this type of work. I, I'm not a graphic designer. I never start studied graphic design or any of that. But I'm also a person who just says yes to opportunities. For instance, this summer. I'm painting a really large mural and I can't wait to do it. I'm not a, I've painted murals, but I don't consider myself a muralist. I know I'm going to be stressed out before I start it, but it's going to be great and it's going to be fun. And um, this opportunity happened because I had created all of the artwork for a restaurant in Somerville called the Painted Burro. And as it happens, the owners of Aeronaut really like the artwork. And so they asked me if I'd be interested in drawing these labels. And so I think I've drawn maybe 30 beer labels for them. Sometimes I go by the freezer section at Wegmans and I'm like, whoa, this whole freezer is devoted to my artwork. <laughs> <laughs> and that just goes to show you too that it's easy for us to connect the dots now because we're, we're older and we could look back on how you got to here. But for those young people who are listening, you just, you never know when you're, when a good thing's gonna happen around the corner. And I don't know about, about you, but for me, there've been so many times in my career where I've thought, I'm just going to give up pre-published after I was published. And, and every time I, I stick around just a little bit longer, something really exciting happens. It's, it's absolutely true. And it's also one of the reasons why I tell younger students to not be so quick to define the kind of artists they are or want to be, because by saying yes to an opportunity, it's going to lead you in in a direction that you never thought would have been possible. And that direction is going to, one, allow you to grow as an artist and two, open up different doors for you. And each one of those doors is going to contain a new adventure for you to explore. And you're going to grow from that as well. And now I'm sitting, I sit down and I, 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 I begin to create a drawing. And sometimes I'm just really surprised at how easy a drawing comes to me because 20 years ago was much more difficult, but it's because of all of these opportunities that have come my way that have allowed me to sit down with my artwork and basically learn how to get into this comfort level that I now have. I'm excited to see how much more comfortable I'll be in another 10 years, you know, and how much further I'll have grown as an artist. Let's get into something that I'm so eager to know a little bit more about. You've created an entire universe, like the Rauliverse <laughs> of these characters who live on, on a border town. And I know that you've drawn from your own life experiences to create what feels like a modern day Richard Scarry line of, of picture books, but now there are early readers and now you're working uh, with animators about potential shows and you get to work, you write them, and but you also get to work with your wonderful and talented wife on coloring the art. And so tell us about the Vamo series, how that came to be. Like you're basically like, you're like the Nick Fury of this little world that you've created. <laughs> I guess I'm pushing a lot of uh, different buttons. This series came about in in many ways thanks to Ariel Ekstadt, who was the person who introduced Kathy and I to our agent, Jennifer Lofren. She runs an organization called the Book Doctors. 
and the book doctors, they have like book pitch contests all across the country. And anyhow, Kathy won a book, a book pitch contest for the Lowrider series. And they introduced Kathy to, to Jennifer and then Jennifer, so Lowriders in space. But Ariel's also Kwame Alexander's agent and Kwame started an imprint with Houghton Mifflin called Versify maybe three years ago. And when they were deciding what books to put on the flagship titles, Ariel gave me a call and she was like, Raul, we want you to be a part of the launch, but you have one week to pitch us something. And I was like, uh-oh. Uh, I was already working on a lot of projects, but I said, okay, let me, let me, let me see if I could come up with anything. And luckily enough, somehow, some way, I sat down and the first thing I wrote was, let's go, vamos, let's go. I could do tons of books with vamos, let's go. I could, let's go to the market, let's go to the beach, let's go to sleep, let's go to school, let's go read, so on and so forth. And so I decided to uh, set the series in my hometown of El Paso. And I have two hometowns, El Paso and Juarez. They're one huge city divided by a river and that disgusting border fence. We won't get into that. But um, then I, I, I also realized what, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to, to create an entire universe of characters that I can basically, I can create, maybe I could create my own Marvel or my own DC universe it, it, it within the world of Vamos. And so I populated the first two books with so many different characters that after I grew comfortable with my editor, Margaret Ramo, I decided, you know what, let's pitch some early readers, some board books, some graphic novels. And they were really happy to, to support me. And now here we are, um, working on book number 10. Wow. And, and that's also, I didn't know that there was such a short time between when you were asked to pitch this and then, and then it had to be on the table of the editor's desk. And there's something also to be said about deadlines and limitations to foster creativity. Because I say, if they had said to you next year, pitch us something, you would have had so much time to second guess yourself and to procrastinate. It wouldn't have been this. Totally not. And you know, that's those quick deadlines th that plays so well into what a comic book creator has to do on a daily basis. You know, there is no time to second guess yourself. If you're creating a monthly title, some of these artists are drawing like Jack Kirby. Sometimes he was drawing four books a month no time to second guess yourself. And so you just let your subconscious do the work for you. And you just let whatever idea that comes into your mind, you just put it down on paper. It begins to make sense after a while. And it really just comes down to everything that you have nourished yourself on throughout the years, through comic books, television, movies, music, and suddenly it just appears your own life experiences and suddenly it's right there on the paper. And I guess that just comes from decades of practice, really. A absolutely. Before I let you go, because it's been such a pleasure to, and we need to just, 
man, like I just need to get out to, cause we'd only, we'd, we were both always traveling so much that we would see each other on book tours and we only live like an hour and a half, two hours from each other. We, we have to make plans, man. We have to make plans. Let me go into the chat. Leslie says, congratulations. I, I love your work. And then, oh, who did we get? Someone said totally fanboying and did three little heart emojis. Jerry, someone named Jerry Craft is on the chat. Who's that? I wish him the best. Um, <laughs> I, hope he, I hope he's been taking notes. He's probably in Florida somewhere. <laughs> he's probably chained to his desk working on New Kid 5. <laughs> and Stephanie writes, wow, I just Googled the Painted Burrow. Amazing artwork. Thank you. Yeah, there's uh, two other locations, uh, the Burro Bar in Brookline and the Burro Bar in the South End. Check them out. And then let's end with, because Stephanie has, has some kids who love to draw. And I know that there's going to be a lot of young artists that, that will be listening to this. What would your, if you had one parting piece of advice for a young artist, what would you tell a young role? I would just say, have fun drawing. Also watch cartoons, read comic books and copy them. That's what I did. And I loved doing that. So if I loved it, I think you'll love it as well. And that's also a good lesson for the parents and caretakers. Artists have been learning how to be artists by emulating other artists since the beginning of time. Oh, so yeah. I, you and I, we were both somewhere in this country as teenagers drawing our own versions of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And, and that's just as much as how I got to be here as much as anything else I learned. I still haven't bought myself a tank. Well, yes, I was a draw copy of the Ninja Turtles. You remember Kevin, e Kevin Eastman bought himself a tank, right? The Batmobile, you mean? The Batmobile? Oh, it might've been a tank. I know that I know that at one point, one of, one of those dudes blew a lot of money on the Batmobile. And by that, I mean like a Batmobile that was used in wow. like the 89 <laughs> Not the best use of your money. Um, so what we're saying to all those young artists, don't be afraid to emulate. Yeah, true. Another thing is that I would say is sometimes an idea might seem incredibly silly, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but in fact, it's the best idea of all time. That's right. Well, Raul, I miss you. I appreciate you. I love you, buddy. Thank you for taking this time. Thank you so much. Love you as well. Talk to you later. You're good. Bye, buddy. Bye. Again, thank you to Raul for chatting and thank you for listening. If you're interested in picking up some of Raul's books and you'd like to order online while supporting a human with a dream, head to studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for a link to High Five Books, an incredible indie and a sponsor of the show. Until next time, I'm Jared Krasoska. Find me across all of the social medias at Studio JJK.